0: In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in the book of Philippians, as we are walking through today, we are in part four. And the other parts of the series, we heard how Paul has shared quite a bit of his desire for the advancement of the gospel of Christ. Remember? We talked about the, uh, the advancement of the gospel of Christ. But he also talked about uh, he was not quite sure what the future had in store for him. He wasn't sure uh, whether or not if he was going to live uh, or if he wanted to live or if he wanted to go and be at home with the Lord. See, Paul was not telling the Philippians' stories about Jesus and stories about faith and stories about his personal sacrifice, so they can just simply listen to it on some uh, iPod somewhere or write a book. He was sharing his heart to move believers spiritually in the right direction. He wanted to move them towards the Lord and towards maturity. Today's message is about how to live as a believer in Christ. And we're going to cover three areas. One, how to live like a citizen of heaven on earth two living in unity and three how to live free of fear. some people become Christians but then they don't know what to do after that you I, I, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and and, and here I am but then now Today's message will address this to a degree, but it will also realign those of us whose alignment has gotten off track. So track together with me in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And again here Paul first tells us, tells all believers to live like a citizen of heaven on earth. Live like a citizen of heaven on earth. Chapter 1 verse 27 Paul says, only let You must live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So first notice that, again, if you've been tracking with me through this series, that the gospel is still uh, at the front of Paul's mind. Even if he's spoken of his faith, he wasn't quite sure whether or not if he was going to live or not. Paul didn't know. No, he uh, was not about to. He was imprisoned, and he was not sure whether or not if this was the end of the road. He wasn't sure if a prison was going to be the cul-de-sac of life for him. Recall, he said, on the other hand, you know, if I die, I'm going to be with God. And this is. But yet, he says, but if I remain, this is going to be good for you. It's going to be good for your emotional health. It's going to be good for your spiritual growth. But our translation, uh, the ESV, when Paul says, In our translation, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It it leaves us with the impression that Paul is only giving a suggestion. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only if you would, if you feel like it. But it should be translated translated as a command. As a matter of fact, in the original language, it is a command. So he's saying, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Come on, you know people. You can't make people do anything. Some of you have children, and you can't make your children do anything. So how is a grown man who calls Paul who used to persecute the church how is he, how is he going to make other grown people uh, do anything It was easier for Paul because he was their apostle Paul was also their pastor he was their shepherd And as their shepherd he had the responsibility to make sure what's good for them. You know for your own children, uh, if you only allow your children to eat candy all the time, you know what's going to happen to them, right? You know that they're going to get sick. So therefore, for their own good, you demand that they eat a salad, you demand that they eat broccoli, you demand that they eat Brussels sprouts and cabbage and all the other good things. Because you see, when you are a shepherd and you're dealing with sheep, sheep don't always know what's good for them. I remember, uh, they're not sheep, but I uh, they were goldfish. I remember one time, for a brief period of time, uh, I had a pet, it was a pet goldfish. And I, you know, I was a kid. What, did, what what do kids know? But I used to notice that every time I would throw the fish food into the container, that automatically they go running into the the top and start gobbling it up. So me being 10, 11, 12, whatever old I was, I decided to get some sand. And then I started throwing sand inside the fish tank. And what do you think the fish did? They went and started gobbling things up. And as a kid, I'm like, okay, well, if they eat sand, I wonder if they eat rocks. So then I Went and got some rocks, some little tiny rocks, and I threw them in the fish tank, and guess what? As soon as it, 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 it broke the, the, the tension surface of the water, the fish would actually go to the top, and they would start eating the little gravel. They would spit it out. So most of the time, uh, fish or sheep, they don't know what's good for them. That's why a shepherd would have uh, if you ever notice a shepherd in ancient times, or well, even in some current times as well, they would have a very long staff, you know, about six or seven feet tall with a hook on it, on, on one end, and then they would have another stick, uh, a shorter stick on the other side, right? Uh, the, uh, the shortest stick was when the sheep began to stray. they would take the, the, the one stick and they would hit them and have them get over there to get in line. And then... Sometimes there would be one lone sheep that would end up in a place he had no business going. So they would use the one little stick also to to, to beat off wild animals as well. But when that one lone sheep would begin to stray off and the shepherd couldn't quite get to him, they would take that long staff, wrap it around their neck, and then snatch them back into place. How many of you haven't done that to your own kids? Just didn't just, or, or didn't at least want to, just wanted to just mess them up. Because they're just acting crazy. You see, sheep don't always know what's good for them. And this is why a shepherd must be watchful. In our day, however, uh, the, the, the moment a pastor insists someone live a certain way or do a certain thing, it becomes fodder for a fiery uh, confrontation. Why? Because today everybody is a YouTube expert. You do something once, get enough hits, and all of a sudden you're an overnight expert and sensation. You see, but a shepherd who loves the flock will always do what is best for the flock regardless of the pushback. Do you not know that sheep bite? Don't you know that sheep have teeth? Sheep bite. So uh, a shepherd, and, and, and Paul being the shepherd also of the Philippians, he had to do what was best for regardless of how they felt about it, because he knew that that was the right thing. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. David says what? He says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? I shall not lack anything. And then he says what? In the next verse, it says he makes me lie down in green pasture. He does what? He makes me A shepherd at times must make the sheep do the right thing. If you are a pastor, uh, if you are a teacher, if you are a father, if you are a mother, there are times that you have to make them do what is right. Because if you left it to their own imagination, they're going to end up in the wrong place. Yeah, they're not going to like it, and trust me, they're going to talk about you. Hey, I talked about my parents. Not to their face, of course. I talked about my parents. They don't know what they're talking about. I know. You know, my mother, I I used to tell you all the time, she used to always tell me, she said, David, I told you this story. You don't think that fat meat is greasy, do you? In other words, regardless of what I tell you, you're just going to do the opposite, aren't you? I'm like, no, I do whatever you tell me to do. She's a stop lying. But see that Psalm 23, verse 2, uh, that David said, the shepherd makes the sheep down in green pasture, else they would walk off and put themselves in danger. So now with Paul, We could call this a command. He says, Live life worthy of the gospel. This is a command. Paul knew better because if you allow yourself to do whatever you want to do according to your own mind, you may end up in a dangerous place spiritually. You may end up in a dangerous place emotionally. You may end up in a dangerous place physically. So he urges them. To spiritual compliance, and this is no difference. What we find in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, and there it says he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which they have been called. And then in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse twelve, well, Paul again says, "Walk in a manner worthy of God." You oh, again, doesn't say, "Well, you know what? If you're feeling good or..." in a good day, then walk in a manner worthy of God. He doesn't say that. He says, walk, uh, which is why he tells Timothy. He says, in on Greek, he says, preach the word in season, out of season. He says, preach the word, whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it. As their apostle and shepherd, does not, sh- and is not shy about commanding him to live lives reflective of being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I think this is one thing we often forget in the midst of busyness, forgetting about what Jesus has done for us. We start talking about so many other ancillary things, so, so many things are on the outside that we forget about what Jesus has done for us. But walking worthy Mind you, and note this, walking worthy also a whole lot more to the Philippians as it does to us. That phrase, walk worthy, or to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, what it means in the original language, it means to live like a citizen to live like a citizen. In other words, it had these political-ish overtones to it. You see, Philippi, it was a Roman colony, and it was uh, populated by army veterans. So the armies, uh, the, the soldiers would go out to war, and when it was time for retirement, they would come back to a place to retire, and the place that they would retire would be to Philippi. So during these uh, tours of duty, these soldiers, as you can imagine, that they gave their lives for the expansion, the protection, in the name of Rome and its empire. Huh. Much like our military today. They swear an oath saying that they will protect their country, they will protect its leader, they will protect its people, they will protect its constitution uh, with their very lives. And in their duties to serve and protect their countries, they also vow to be good citizens as well. So why would you serve and protect something with your life if you don't care for it in some significant way? A few years ago, uh, three years ago, when uh, uh, we are hearing story after story about uh, uh, African-Americans bowing a knee uh, during the national anthem, I asked my father. Uh, you know, he was a war veteran, World War II. I said, "Would you bow a knee because of what's going on?" He says, "No." So I was, I was, I was hoping he was going to say, "Yeah." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, let's let's do this, and that." He said, "No." I said, "Why not?" He said, I just wouldn't. And then when he phrased it that way to me, I'm like, okay, I guess I better leave him alone. So I just left him alone. You see, for many, there's a connection between defending a nation with your life and respecting the symbols that represent it, including its flag and its song. You know, when you, look, when you go to, basic training, when you go to a boot camp, that uh, one of their primary roles is to break you when you're there. They are to break you. They uh, want to make sure that when you leave that you have a certain mindset. So the mindset of most who leave basic training is that they're going to defend their country, its symbols and its presidents and its people and its songs uh, to the uh, the best of their abilities. But depending upon the context behind, uh, of course this is true for all nations, all nations have their own zealots. So depending upon the context behind those nations, those symbols and leaders, uh, that connection and that what you do can also have a dark side. So those Roman... Soldiers took an oath to faithfully serve without reservation, even if they had to stare death right in the face. So like faithful soldiers who return home from service, Christians are commanded to live like citizens of heaven while residing in Philippi. To live like citizens of heaven while, remind, while uh, residing in Chicago, uh, residing in Berlin, uh, Kigali, uh, New York, or Beijing, that you are required to live like citizens of heaven, regardless of where you reside on earth. So Paul says look to Jesus and then look at him. And then make a wise decision about how you should live. You see, it's not about uh, looking at me. You, uh, you, you want to know your best role model? It's not me. It's not my sister here. It's not my brother here. It is Jesus, which is why the scripture says look to Jesus. Because Jesus is our hope, He's the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, by looking at me, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed one day when I get mad about something, right? And you're going to say, oh, I thought all preachers were supposed to be nice and docile. And then when I tell you, hey, Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus uh, overturned the table. Paul got, got got mad at Barnabas because of Timothy. But you, you want me to be all docile. And then you see, I'm totally turned off by the church. I'm totally turned off. Because why? Because I'm acting human. Saved by the grace of God. Amen. Now you better go ahead and say amen, because I know some of y'all, and you don't want me to tell your story. So, amen. All right, there we go. In Christ, you're passport is dripping with the blood of Jesus Christ and for that we should be thankful and live in the confidence that he's put in us. But Paul has something specific in mind concerning walking worthy of the gospel. He says, again verse 27, only let Your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Uh, In other words, he says, live in unity. Live in unity. Walking worthy means living in unity. This is what he means when he says stand firm, right? Uh, In one spirit and with one mind. So who are the unified ones? Here in this epistle to the Philippians. Uh, remember, uh, Philippi was a city uh, where many people lived at. And when he wrote this letter, remember that he did, didn't just write it to one church. He wrote it to any other church that existed in Philippi. For instance, if, uh, if Paul wrote a letter to the Chicagoans or to the New Yorkers, right, uh, would it be to only one church? No, it would be to all those who would be Christians within that geographical location. But we know that when the word of God comes out, it's not just for those at Philippi, it's not just for those in Chicago, not just for those in Los Angeles, but it's for Christians of all times everywhere all over the globe. So when we think of being one in spirit, he speaks to Christians... Everywhere, Churches everywhere. But it's hard. It's hard. Because there's so mis- much mistrust over minor issues and so much mistrust because one church or, or group of leaders don't like the music on the other side of town. Yes, it's, it's critical Uh, That our churches become unified. Because we are the one global church. We're part of it. And as we unite as one church, that's where we will see the power of God. That's when the gospel will appear to be its strongest. You know, people, they speak in platitudes about how strong our country is. But our country uh, cannot be its strongest when there is division within it. So if there is not a unifier uh, within our midst, it will remain fractured and dysfunctional. Jesus Christ is the unifier of the church. Jesus is the unifier of the one apostolic church. But that connection to one spirit doesn't stop here, but we must also look in terms of, of how it has been used in the New Testament and how uh, Paul uses it in other places. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul says here, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, he says. Uh, and all were made to drink of what? One Spirit. So clearly hear the word of God. There is a true unity in the body of Christ because of the one and the same Holy Spirit in the entire church. Church as a people and not church as a building. Because you remember the early church, they didn't have a building, did they? There was no building that they could go to. So again, the Spirit is our direct link to the unity in the body of Christ. If unity is not evident, it may mean people are not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them within the church. If we're going to walk worthy of the gospel, we must unite and not allow our political affiliations, tribal instincts, or racial biases to muddy the waters or to taint our testimonies. We must stand up for the gospel. We must also stand up for the defenseless. We must stand up for the widows, for the poor, for the orphans, and not uh, be manipulated into thinking that social justice only looks one way. Now, when I say social justice, I mean biblical social justice. I always have to qualify that because uh, some people are trying to redefine social justice uh, but I speak of biblical social justice. Unity requires a power far greater than our own wisdom to overcome the darkness of division and the possibility of our uh, our self-defeating gospel our self-defeating gospel which is not the gospel uh, because of our own personal self-preservation. But walking in in unity takes us right back to the gospel as we strive, as we fight side by side for the faith of the various issues within Christianity. Later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul will take up the cause of Euodia and Syntyche to help them work out their differences because they have strived together with him for the gospel's sake. In other words, he's saying there, and we'll hear that much later, that when there's strife among those in the body of Christ, those who are holy, those who have been redeemed, must strive to strike down that division. Amen? Whether that division is within the church proper itself, Whether that division is amongst uh, a married couple, uh, whether that division is in other places, Uh, God calls us to strike it down. Paul says it shouldn't be that if we had been fighting together for the gospel of, of, of Christ, why are we ourselves now fighting? Because of self. Within the church, we don't have time for infighting. Amen? I don't know about you, but last time I checked, I don't think that my body is going to live forever. So I don't have time for the dumb stuff. Amen. I know you say, are you talking about me? I, I don't know. Am I? I don't know. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the dumb stuff that happens in the church. Amen. Right? Now cut off the stuff that's not working so the church can continue to grow. Uh, however God decides what growth looks like, you will cut off the dumb stuff and keep moving forward because people are going to talk. People are going to talk. They're going to talk, talk about your hair. They're going to talk about your shoes. They're going to talk about your dress, your pants, your suit. They're going to talk about the way that you even match your clothes. People are going to have something to say. Didn't you see them today? Didn't you see how they did this, that, and the other? You see, when you begin to put that stuff out there, you're sowing seeds of division in the church. I ain't got time for that. Finally, live free of fear. Verse 28, Paul says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation that com- that's from God. Uh, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. But wait a minute, wasn't it Paul who said in Romans chapter 8 that, you know, if you want to be a conqueror, you need to be in Christ, right? I am a conqueror in Christ, in him who loves, right? That's where I find my conquering spirit, but Paul says that I was in conflict and that I am in conflict. So don't allow fear to stop you because of those insults and threats, right? Right? And when they happen, know that it means that you are on the right path. So as believers, strive side by side. And don't allow the threats of your opponents to stop you. In a previous message in this series, I, I told you a story about Sanya. Remember her from India? India? Remember she had a vision of Jesus and she came to faith. That's where she was converted. And that, uh, the point was of that particular part of the story was to hear how uh, that conversion led her to attend church. Some people believe that they can be Christians and never go to church and that's a lie. You can't substantiate that with the word of God. In fact, the word of God tells you just the opposite. It says you must go to church. So she attended church. But anyway, she started attending church, and her family began to persecute her because of her faith in Christ, and they wanted her to return again to Islam, but she refused. So what her father did, uh, he went and got this Muslim guy, I forget the name, whatever he's called, and he told his daughter, Sanya, he says, look, Sanya, you need to leave your room. You need to get out of your room. She's like, for what? He says, you need to get out of your room and don't go back in until I tell you to. So he calls this Muslim man into their home. And the Muslim man comes into the home. And you know what he does? He takes up residence in her room. And then he begins to do some Islamic prayers. And guess what? He's not there for five minutes, y'all. He's there for days. What do you think he's spewing out? He's spewing out darkness, uh, trying to eliminate uh, the light of Jesus Christ. This is what we call spiritual warfare. And of course, Sonia, she didn't know what to do. So she began to seek the Lord and trying to figure out what should I do. And the Lord just told her to pray. So I'm not sure how long this Muslim man was supposed to be in that house. But after a couple of days, he packed his stuff and he left. And the father said, well, where are you going? He didn't didn't even explain. He got up and he just walked up and he left. Everyone was surprised because they thought he was going to be there for a long time. You see, uh, Sonya, she was threatened, but instead of freaking out, she prayed and the Lord answered her prayer. and, And the guy just got up and he left with no explanation. And I tell you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So there will be opponents so you can expect them. Again, I'm not uh, trying to conjure them up, but that's the way it goes. The threats railed against believers, again, they are a sign of the unbelievers' ultimate despise. And and they uh, uh, are a sign of our own redemption. Why do they become so upset? They realize that their time is coming to an end and they feel like cornered animals. No, uh, they are not animals, right? We don't denigrate the human being, right? But we know that there's a spiritual warfare that's going on, right? We attack the doctrine and not the person. Anytime we attack the people, we know we're on the wrong track. If Christians go after people, you're going after the wrong person. So just because you are attacked for your faith in Christ doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out good for you either. in Hebrews chapter 11 it talks about faith, but it also talks about those who died in their faith waiting on an answer. In some countries, there are efforts to rid their nation of people who love Jesus Christ. It's happening today. It's happening in what we call the 1040 window. Look that up. And those nations that are within that 1040 window, that's where you see most persecution of Christians throughout the world, in that 1040 window. Just take a look at it. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Paul, here in verse 30 now, he again uh, turns uh, our attention to his situation. He says, look at him and look where the gospel has gotten him, so don't be fooled into thinking everything will be all right for the sake of the gospel, at least in your own personal life. But in the midst of all that, you are commanded to live like a citizen of heaven while you're on earth. Will it be hard? Will you sweat sometimes in life? Will beads of sweat come off of you because you're not certain how things will turn out? Absolutely! But know that there's an enemy. But yet, regardless of the enemy, you... I, all believers everywhere of all time, are called to live like citizens of heaven on earth. Are you ready? Are you ready? We should be ready today because we are existing in that timeline right now. So I want to encourage you to be unified in the body of Christ. Speak well of your brothers and sisters. And guess what? Don't be afraid. As Paul says, to be anxious, to be fearful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. And God's peace surpasses all understanding, Regard guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the